Seek all corruption to destroy it. That's a little Metallica, as always, for well over, well, over almost two years now. Uh, okay, a little bit loud there. And yes, we are completely remote. And um, get uh, maybe that's a little bit better here. Throw that, throw that gain down. We are, we are entirely and completely remote. And in fact. Uh, this is like what the fourth? This has got to be the fourth, uh, fourth show here that we've done from a remote location. And I will say, I will say that this particular program, this particular show, um, this particular show is uh, is being done out of the country. I am not in the United States at the moment. So uh, this is the first. Discussions of truth that uh, that is being brought to you from out of the country. If you are unfamiliar with discussion of truth, this is the first time you're listening to it. Um, or rather, whether it be live right now or via, via a podcast, uh, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, Anchor FM, uh, Anchor FM. So. You know, I mean, whatever it may be, uh, welcome to the program. Lots been going on, lots, 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 lots been going on the past, uh, the past month and a half, uh, two months. Uh, we will be bringing back on the program Chris Peranco. Uh, uh, we uh, are working through a few snafus as far as connection and broadcasting remotely. Uh, and uh, it just so happened that that particular episode uh, featured um, uh, 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 one of the leading um, soldiers on the ground uh, uh, during the uh, the siege of uh, the compound there on the U.S. Embassy uh, to Libya, which took the life uh, of J. Christopher Stevens. Uh, Chris Peranto uh, pretty much led that group uh, in, uh, and and um, he's a subject in that group uh, of uh, CIA contractors, ex-SEALs. Uh, I'm not sure if they're, yes, ra Rangers as well, because Peranto was a former U.S. R Army Ranger. Uh, that group uh, was held back. If you remember, this has been six years ago or so, uh, this was a major issue seven years surrounding the um, the tenure of Secretary of State for Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton that she didn't act quick enough to uh, save the life of uh, 
J. Christopher Stevens. Peronto uh, joined us from his home on location in Nebraska. And, you know, it just so happens that today's guest, uh, who's also being rescheduled, rescheduled uh, uh, Jacqueline N. Font Guzman, as Dr. Jacqueline N. Font Guzman. She is a professor of law and conflict studies and director in the Negotiated Conflict Resolution Program in the Department of Interdisciplinary Studies at Creighton University. That just so happens to be in Nebraska as well. Um, and she's going to be joining us. Uh, she actually is a recommendation from a uh, regular guest on program, J.P. Lindstrom. Uh, and uh, Dr. Guzman, Font Guzman, has actively participated in the field of conflict studies through national and inter international conferences and workshops and has conducted a wide variety of trainings and seminars in the field throughout the U.S., Caribbean, Europe, and Latin America. She's a certified mediator and arbitrator by the Puerto Rico Supreme Court. She's a Fulbright, was a Fulbright scholar at Carlos III University School of Law in Spain. What more about Font, Dr. Font Guzman? Some of the organizations she has provided mediation, mediation facilitation, and or training services to include the World Health Organization, that's WHO or WHO, the U.S. Postal Service, interesting, Judicial Acad Academy of the Puerto Rico Supreme Court, Spain Supreme Court, Judicial Council for Continuous Education for Judges, Venezuela Supreme Court, Johnson & Johnson, and the Nebraska Bar Association. Those are some pretty heavy hitters, as she is herself. She serves as consultant for the World Bank Group in Washington, D.C., on alternative dispute resolution, and for the Centro Latino de Bioteca y Humanidades in San Juan, Puerto Rico, on the interdisciplinary promotion of education, training, and investigation in bioethics. She has also been a visiting professor at the University of Puerto Rico Law School in San Juan, Southern Methodist University in Plano, Texas, and the Carlos III University of S School of Law in Madrid. Madrid. Dr. Font Guzman conducts qualitative research with a focus on the fields of healthcare dis disparity, law, citizenship, and conflict engagement, specifically how people construct meaning at critical points in their lives to explore the manners in which meaning-making leads them to productively engage with conflict. She also explores how marginalized individuals create alternative stories and counter-narratives to address institutional and structural injustices. You can view her interdisciplinary research. On her SSRN author page and follow her scholarship work at academia.edu. Wrapping up an intro for Dr. Guzman, who will be joining us here momentarily. Dr. Font Guzman has a BA with Coe College, a COE, Coe College, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a Master's in Healthcare Administration from St. Louis University, her law degree, summa cum laude, from the Inter-America Inter Inter University of Puerto Rico, and her PhD in Conflict Analysis and Resolution from Nova Southern, excuse me, Southeastern University, I did that from Florida. Prior to joining Creighton University in Nebraska, Dr. Font Guzman was in private law practice in New Haven. She also clerked for Honorable Carmen Consuelo Cerezo on the U.S. District Court for Puerto Rico. So, Dr. Guzman will be joining us here uh, momentarily. And again, she comes to discuss the truth via 
uh, a recommendation of uh, JP Lindstraw. Okay, so that kind of brings you up to speed with uh, with where we're headed here for today's program. We're going to be discussing Puerto Rico uh, and the state of Puerto Rico. Um, Charles Sam Faddis is a former guest on this program. You can follow some of his, uh, I believe they're weekly, uh, articles at andmagazine.com. That's A-N-D, magazine.com. Search for, uh, search for Sam Faddis there, and you'll find, I believe it's a weekly installment, a weekly article. He is a former senior partner, uh, Artemis. Partner Artemis, LLC, is a former CIA operations officer with 30 years of experience in the conduct of intelligence operations in the Middle East, South Asia, and Europe. His last assignment prior to retirement in May of 2008, uh, it's about, uh, what, 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, folks, was as head of the CIA's terrorist weapons of mass destruction unit. He took the first CIA team into Iraq in 2002 in advance of the invasion of that country and has worked extensively in the field with law enforcement, local security forces, and special operations teams. Since retirement, he has written extensively, providing training to a variety, a wide variety of government and private entities and peers regularly on radio and television, as uh, as well as, as I just mentioned, Windwood Radio and Discuss the Truth. And of course, this is Windwood Radio broadcasting out of country. Uh, you're listening to Windwood Radio. Uh, discussion to Truth is the show, and I'm your, your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, that's I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. I do recommend you to visit iantrache.com. There you will find a list of all former uh, guests and future guests who have agreed to join the program. Uh, some might strike uh, you and you and your interests. Uh, just uh, running through, uh, running through a couple of the, a few perhaps rather of the more notable uh, guests that, uh, that 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 you may have heard of: John Perkins. Uh, New York Times bestselling author Cynthia McKinney, six-term former former six-term congresswoman for the United States of the state of Georgia. Paul Hellyer, who is uh, one of the highest-ranking uh, political figures in Canada. Paul Craig Roberts, former economist for the Reagan administration. David Icke is a, uh, a former BBC employee and has been running his own internal investigative unit, uh, privately run, if you will, from the Isle of Wight there. Uh, in the UK, he's an investigative journalist, uh, essentially. Uh, Chris McDaniel joined the program very briefly uh, in the early early days of, of, of discussions of truth when we were actually we actually called ourselves by a different name. That was the Florida Sun and Spray Show, which alludes to the uh, the spraying of uh, a, a very controversial uh, toxic uh, insecticide uh, in the in Miami neighborhood of, in fact, Wynwood and Miami Beach. Naomi Prince. Uh, former Goldman Sachs executive and Stephen Kinzer, who is a uh, former uh, correspondent to the New York Times. So, um, let me, in final, before we bring uh, Dr. Font Kuzman onto the program, uh, briefly mention that uh, a lot of the research that, uh, that, 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 that I have done historically and that I continue to do that really brings together um, uh, many of the topics that are discussed on the program uh, hen, uh, 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 root from 
the work of former Stanford Hoover fellow, Anthony Sutton. Uh, he's actually a, a British, he was a British national. Um, and uh, Dr. Sutton investigated um, what we know as today as the deep state. Okay, there are very various levels to decision making within the U.S. government, but one thing that separates the U.S. government from typically mostly any other government that's ever formed is that it is essentially designed through its weights and, and balances to give all people a voice. Okay, and what we know through various layers of how that operation is constructed. And not initially, but construction today has been shaped and reformed, is that there is a secret establishment. Yes, yes, you use that word. You use that word very um, uh, timidly, if you will. But you know, it's hard to use that word. But certainly it does a fit, and that is the title of his book, America's Secret Establishment, The Order of the Skull and Bones. Yes, it's Yale University which uh, many uh, aristocratic families of the United States have been, have been and are uh, currently associated to and with. You've tuned into Discussions of Truth. I'm your host, Dean Hamilton I will be back momentarily with Dr. Jacqueline Font Guzman. <laughs> Um, yes, I can. Excellent. Thank you for joining to discuss, discuss the truth. Um, we are broadcasting out of the country, actually. We've been working with uh, getting the necessary equipment running and installed. Right in Miami uh, uh, location and station. By 
but uh, this is a success. Thank you for joining us uh, through, uh, what is it, uh, are you in uh, Creighton? Creighton is uh, in what city of Nebraska? Is it city? Yeah, thanks for the invitation, um, first of all. It's a real pleasure to be here. And yeah, Creighton University is in Omaha City, Nebraska. Uh-huh. And uh, 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 Jackie, um, would you please, I, I've, given, I've given listeners a, 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 a somewhat of a basic uh, introduction to the work that you've done. And uh, you know, one of the things that kind of, uh, if you, uh, as, as listeners know, J.P. Lindstrup has recommended you and you graciously agreed to join the program um, and, and basically I wanted to spend time getting into Puerto Rico so that so that listeners uh, can understand the dynamics and what goes on there and from your viewpoint what, what's happening uh, legally uh, and whatnot but your, your, your experience uh, your experience is much broader in that you you're a former Fulbright scholar at Carlos III University School of Law in Madrid Spain could you give listeners a, 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 a basic introduction to the work that you have done and what you're known for and who you are? Sure, thank you. Um, so I, my work, I, I am originally from Puerto Rico. Um, I've been in Omaha, Nebraska for 13 years now. I came in to accept the job position here as faculty and director of a negotiation and program resolution um, negotiation and conflict resolution program. So so my work is, uh, I, it, it's extremely interdisciplinary because I, I have a healthcare background as a master's in healthcare administration. And I've also um, studied law um, in Puerto Rico and I litigated for many years there, um, uh, a lot of cases on discrimination and all sorts of other um, interesting things. And then I went into my PhD in conflict analysis and, and resolution. So I come to this work, uh, my work is extremely interdisciplinary and my work in Puerto Rico uh, has been the resources at the intersection, I would say, of law, the um, conflict theories and the humanities. So I, so I work at that intersection trying to explain um, what has happened in Puerto Rico, um, our colonial relationship with the USA, how does this has shaped us, and since I've been here trying to really educate and, and have conversations and dialogues with people from the United States, trying to explain what is that relationship, what it is, who we really are, um, because I, I feel like many people, there's a lot of confusion about what is this thing called Puerto Rico that's out there that sort of people rediscovered it for, uh, you know, again, um, when the hurricane of Maria hit, um, it's going to be now two years ago. Right. So, uh, so, so, so you, you, you don't speak Spanish, do you? I do fully because I was raised there all the time, <laughs> which is another misconception. So thanks for raising it. <laughs> okay, so Puerto Rico, you know, historically, it's, 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 it's one of the, it's one of the oldest, uh, uh parts of, the new, the new land, the new world uh, that, that that the Spanish had had, had, had right. entered, if you will, um, and and of course uh, through the Spanish-American Wars, it became a, a territory of, of the mm -hmm. United States. But then, you know, there's there's also there's also there's also kind of a, a push. I think I think there's there's two sides. Maybe maybe you want to speak to this or not. But there's two sides of hey, do we, you know, Puerto Rico is it better off joining the the the, the United States as a, as a state? versus remaining a territory. What are, you, what are your opinions in, in, in that regard? Right, so I, I think the first thing, and, and 
the way you're describing that short history for sure is, is very relevant because the two things that I'm picking up immediately when, when you're doing this great summary is that Puerto Rico has really been a colony since 1493, right? So, so some of the things that people don't understand fully is what does it mean to be a territory, right? And, and where does that come from? And, and what happened in 1898 was the U.S. for the very first time is an, it becomes an empire themselves, right? Up to 1898, the United States had never owned other colony or people outside of what is now known as the continental USA and Alaska, Hawaii. You know, they were just, they, they, there was a U.S. nation, main, mainland, what, what is known now as mainland. And so the, the, the territories way back if you look at the Constitution, you are not going to find the term unincorporated territory, which is what Puerto Rico is. So territory in the Constitution, under the Territorial Clause, and I'm talking about the Constitution of the United States, um, territories were meant to be, you know, way back in the days of the ordinance where new territories were coming and being created, and when they reached certain thresholds and requirements of population and some other issues, then they could be incorporated into the state. So that's the definition of territory. So in 1898, the U.S. all of a sudden says, what do I do now? I, I have this war that I've won, you know, Spanish-American War, 1898. All of a sudden, I own Puerto Ricans, Filipinos. Like, what, what, what are we going to do with these people? And so out of Harvard, actually, some scholars were writing, and the Supreme Court didn't know what to do. And what they decided was they basically created a legal term by legal fiction. And they say, well, these people are not really territories, because territories under the current Constitution are meant to be eventually become a state, right? It was like a mid-step to become a state. This new territories we had that the U.S. had, uh, had bought and owned they were not meant to ever become a state. And, and if you look at the legislative debates that were happening at the time, 1898, and later in 1917, when Puerto Rico actually gets enforced the U.S. citizenship, it, it wasn't meant for this people to ever be a part of the U.S. So in order to fit it within the constitutional framework, they create a new category of territory by jurisprudence, um, which, is, which, is, which is not part of that you will never find that definition in the U.S. Constitution. And they do this through jurisprudence and the infamous case of Darwin versus Bidwell way back then says, well, Puerto Rico and the territories, they they belong to Puerto Rico, but they're not part of Puerto Rico. And that's the legal, that's the famous insular cases, which is a series of cases that basically try to explain, explain what are we going to do with these new territories that we have acquired. Um, and that goes on from 1898 all the way to probably 19, 1900s, early 1900s. And so that's known as the insular cases. So territory and what territory is and how Puerto Rico becomes what it is now, together with the Philippines and Las Marianas and many other islands out there, it, it's an important technical definition that I think many people don't know, but it makes a huge difference because basically what the U.S. says is we're going to become an empire and we're going to own these people and we never have any intention to either give them sovereignty or make them part of who we are right now. And so that's a very important key term here. And, and as a result of that, Puerto Rico, to answer your question, is there has been historically a tension between, well, who are we, what are we, who are we in relations to what? Right? Um, are we Puerto Ricans? Are we Spanish? Are we Americans? Um, Puerto Rico has a very strong influence of the Spanish colonization. In many ways, they were a lot more effective than the U.S. of imposing their own norms and cultures. So, I mean, the, the colonization was brutal. They killed pretty much of all the Tainos and eight native um, 
um, Indians that we had at the time there. And so what you have is a culture that was very, it was very syncretism. We had a little bit of the Indian, a little bit of the um, African, uh, American slave, African slave that were taken and ended up in Puerto Rico in the island. And then you had the, the Spanish. And then in 1898, the U.S. comes. By the time the U.S. comes, we were already a formed cultural nation. We had Spanish, we had our own music, we had our own art, we had our own humanities, we had, we, we were clearly a cultural nation, although we were not a sovereign political nation. Right. And so, so they come in in 1898 and they say, wow, we can't, and there was a, a lot of, um, 1950s, they tried to force people to speak English. There was a lot of repression. Puerto Rico has a history of repression that the U.S. doesn't really know, um, of persecuting political um, leaders that would favor independence, of opening dossiers on them. And, and, and it's documented now because there's a lot of these FBI files and have been, have been now, are now available um, due to Freedom of Information Acts and other things. So, so this is information that I collect in my book um, uh, my, my latest book in which I, I sort of bring in all that history through the narrative of some people I interviewed. So, so what has that created? It has created a colonial framework, 1917, Puerto Ricans are imposed citizenship. It was really, there was no vote for it. And actually at the time, those who even favor annexation to the United States did not really want to be a part of it because they understood that Congress was saying, we're going to give you the citizenship, but you won't be able to vote for the president of the United States. You won't be able to have equal representation. Or actually, you won't have any representation in Congress, but you can send someone that they can speak and they'll have a voice, but they will never have a vote. So those even who wanted annexation, annexation opposed U.S. citizenship at the time for different reasons. And of course, those who did not want annexation, they, they wanted their own Puerto Rican citizenship and not the U.S. citizenship. So ever since then, Puerto Rico has been in this in this um, confrontation as to what do we want to do. There are, there are I, I would say there are three main, um, if you're going to have three buckets of political parties or what happens or ideologies, um, there's those who want statehood. Um, there are those who want um, independence. And then there's those that, from my perspective, represent the colonial framework. They say, well, we don't, we want to continue with the U.S. citizenship. We want to continue to have an affiliation with the U.S., but we want to preserve our Spanish. We want to preserve, we don't want to pay federal taxes. We don't want to. And so that's that in-between group. And, and so that's that's what we have as of right now. <laughs> so, Jackie, you brought up some, some incredible points here. And let's, let's kind of, let's, let's step back for a moment. Rossell uh, mm -hmm. just just left office, and uh, he was I think he was uh, MIT educated. Uh, yes. And, and now Wanda Wanda Vasquez Garcet Garcet is if I Gar Garcia. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so but but let's kind of look at you know, Puerto Rico is a, a very as you're saying culturally historically a very very rich in so many different levels uh, uh, identity, and so there are those that are like you say they're kind of they're kind of hey let's let's become a U.S. state let's Let's no. Let's become our own. Let's remain our own country, and it's kind of like it. it they almost, you almost are its own country, and then, and then. Uh, it, let's, it, so, so let me ask a question here quickly, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Jacqueline. Mm -hmm. How does how does Puerto Rico differ, um, or how is it how does it operate differently versus when it operated under Spanish colonial? Uh, guidance, if you will, or management versus how it's operating under U.S. territorial 
management and guidance and guidance and, and, and from your opinion mm -hmm. which was more effective well I think colonies are never effective I think colonies are brutal they're violent they're dehumanized they're dehumanizing and and I, I there's no way you can use the word effectiveness together with colonialism I think by definition it means exploitation and, and it means um, just really dehumanizing someone and so um, I think the, 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 interestingly enough, though, under Spanish colonization, because Spanish, Spain was a dwindling empire by the late 1890s, so we already, with Spaniards, in 1897, we had with Spain um, what was called the Autonomic Charter, La Carta Autonomica, and what that did was it gave Puerto Ricans a lot more power, actually, in terms of international presence and participation within the empire than what the U.S. we currently have with the U.S. because we actually had a representative in Spain with a voice and a vote which we don't have now and what happened was Spain was fearful of losing their colonies and they had started to give out some more powers. 1897 that is signed that that charter is signed and, and what, what many historians say is this is like the beginning of starting to let go of all the colonies and, and eventually becoming independence. But then 1898 in December, I mean, right there after it hasn't even been a year, the U.S. comes and says, we're going to do a treaty. We're going to buy this, folks. We're going to pay you some money. I mean, literally, that's how it happened. And Puerto Rico is ours. And so all of that was just set aside. And, and we came to be into the current colonial regime we have now. Um, so, so it's very different in their approaches. I think the U.S. has taken a more, the, the Spanish colonization was brutal in terms of physical torture, violence, and killing the Indians. I think the U.S. has been a more sophisticated, soft violence, veil violence, where, where it's a history of, I'll give you a little bit of this, but I'll take away this other thing. So it, it's been, um, and here's an example. Citizenship is actually a perfect example. We'll, we'll, we'll give these people an imposed citizenship, but we'll give them only partial rights. They won't really be citizens at all. Um, they'll, they'll have some citizenship privilege and they can come in and out, and they are entitled to only those fundamental rights that we decide, that Congress decides, they can actually use and exercise. So, so it, it, it's, it's a more veiled violence, but it's still violence. Right. From my perspective. So, so here the, the Puerto Ricans don't necessarily get to, they don't get to vote, they don't get to have their, uh, their voices heard, uh, yet there's an IRS office in Puerto Rico. They're, they're paying taxes. Is, is that accurate? Well, they pay, so, so they don't pay, they pay state taxes and only, um, the only employees or individuals in Puerto Rico that pay federal taxes are those who work for federal government. And part of it, as you think about it, is the history of, of the U.S. when they were actually a colony themselves from, from Britain, which was there, there should be no tax without representation. Right. So, so because there's that there, we don't actually pay federal taxes. But then we don't, we're not entitled, obviously, to the same um, federal benefits that, that, that the Americans that live in the U.S. actually have. So, so what is it, it, what is the what is the most pressing issue, uh, if if there isn't one other than the obvious, which is uh, devastation from uh, mm -hmm. aftermath? What what is the most pressing issue in in Puerto Rico, and how do folks that are living uh, stateside in, in, in the U.S. how how do they uh, uh, 
how do they gain an awareness of, of, of hey, this is, this is important to try to reach out and help uh, Puerto Rico for its own identity? So, so I think, I mean, many things. Um, Puerto Rico, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. But, but, but what really, I think the real, uh, hurricanes don't create this mystery. I mean, they, they destroy, but, but I think the real, the real problems that we're having are actually man-made right now. Um, uh, we have, a, we have a, the Caribbean entirely has suffered from this colonial experience and background. So, so the hurricanes are not really the cause of all that we're going through right now. Um, I think it's our, our lack of um, political structure, colonialism. There's for sure corruption um, internally. That's an issue that we do have to face as Puerto Ricans. Um, so we do have some responsibility with that. But but at the other end, this brutal oppression that has not allowed us to be um, self-governing. So I, what are some of the things that this has shown is my one of my theories and, and something that I'm working on and, and it's going to be actually my next book is that Maria as a hurricane unveiled colonialism like oh my god we have these people there and they're in misery and there's all these issues and they even have American citizenship they kind of but not really but it didn't unveil imperialism and the ideology that's behind what 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 makes colonialism happen um, that is very hard to confront. It's very hard to confront, I think, as an American, um, like for Americans that are American citizens here in the U.S. Um, it's, it's very hard to confront that, that we the people doesn't really include all we the people and that we've actually, or our government, has done these terrible things that we don't even know about. And, and I think that's a, that's, a, that's a harsh thing to confront, right? It's very similar in a way to the confrontations that are happening right now in the U.S. with racism and the lynchings and, and you know, restorative, trying to approach restorative justice. So it's almost like a, it, it has a lot of parallels with it. So, so what are our basic needs? I think a lot of it is, I, I think there, I mean, there's needs on everything. I mean, our power structure is pretty much collapsed. The, 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 uh, there's no um, good water. That's, that's also collapse. Um, so for certain areas of the population, like always, you know, if you in a more privileged area, you'll be okay. But we have people to this day. I mean, I just came back there in some in summer because I participated in the um, in the rebellion that happened. I guess the summer rebellion, as they're calling it, of 2019, um, which ousted the democratically elected governor um, Pedro Rosselló. Um, and, and, it, and part of it was a protest. Protest. My, Puerto Ricos were not the same after Maria. Maria came, and it sort of gave us a sense of, wait a second, we're abandoned. No one really cares about us. We're suffering. We have a deprived economic situation here that has been going on for decades. Um, and no one, we're just going to do things by our own. And so people started engaging in a lot of, we're just going to do this ourselves. And fast track two years later now to this last summer um, were just chats that, 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 that started pretty much degrading everyone. You know, queer, gays, woman, the death of Maria, those who had died. They were just making fun of the poor. The series of chats where the governor was chatting with 10 of his closest, 10, 12 of his closest um, friends and advisors just went out public. And this was a different Puerto Rico. You know, I, I many of us who were here in the U.S. and those of us who were, in, many of them of the Puerto Ricans who were in Puerto Rico kept on saying, what is it going to take to become indignant? Like, how, what are we waiting for? What's going on? I mean, 
honestly, there was a point in time I kind of almost lost hope, and it's like, oh my God, this is, will never be the Puerto Rico I, I know and I was born and raised. I mean, the, the Puerto Rico I was raised in, and it's just never going to be the same. And and what we were a different, it was a different nation in a way. And they said, you know what? You do not represent us. You don't have the integrity to represent us. And we're just basically going to go out. And people just went out to the streets every single day, pretty much until they said, you need to resign and you need to take the board with you. We have a, a, a board, as it's called La Junta in Puerto Rico, which is um, completely undemocratic because of the whole financial situation. We're in billions and billions, over 18 billion, I mean, over $67 billion in debt, which a lot of it is contested because a lot of it is, could be illegal because it's not, it wasn't done according to our constitution. Um, but people said we can't pay this debt. And, and so the U.S. response was to put up, impose a board that is now basically governing in Puerto Rico. They really are governing in Puerto Rico. There's no, there, there's no. Um, they were not democratically elected. We don't have anyone in Congress representing us. So for sure, I mean, there is no direct or indirect representation in any way. So all of this compounded. People just exploded. It's like we're not the same, and this cannot happen. And even more interesting that all of this is right now. There are people in the plazas of Puerto Rico throughout the entire island having meetings and gatherings with with what is the puerto rico we want for our future so 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 there's a lot we shifted from protesting and let get this person down to to taking it a step further now what is it that we want to do and so so that's kind of where it is i think i think it was a pivotal moment um i i think i mean a lot of us are scholars people individuals are observing and, and studying this um but, but it also takes education. Like one of the things that irritates me a lot, and I actually wrote a, a, Washington, a, a piece, an editorial op-ed that was picked up by the Washington Post, um, was two years ago when Maria happened, that, that, that it was like people keep on saying our fellow Americans. And, and I was trying to understand why, does, why did that bother me so much? You know, why, I mean, legally, yes, we do have an American citizenship, you know, no, no doubt about that. But what, what was it rubbing me off so much? And I, and I finally said, well, it's pretty easy. It's because citizenship, actually, the, 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 we, because colonies don't have citizenships, they have subjects. Uh-huh. And so to use euphemisms and say that Puerto Ricans are citizens when they're really subjects, it's it's not only deceiving, but but it's another yet layer of oppression. And then to make it worse, many of the people in reaction, you hear even politicians. I mean, running now for candidates of governor. I mean, for president of the U.S. And I think it's based out of ignorance or not having knowledge. It's not really intended. But immediately people go to, well, let's make them, let's give them statehood. Let's make them full citizens. And I'm thinking. You're colonizing all over again because the language and the discourse should not be let's give them citizenship and give them equal rights. It should be let's out let's support them in having a self-determination process. So so this discourse and narrative is very dangerous because you're really again, once again, the empire decides what happens with the colony. It, instead of pushing for that, I think it would be more helpful if the narrative would change from the US side saying, hey, we colonize these people and this is wrong. So let's let's push for a self-determination process as opposed to saying here's the solution you need you need to be you need to be a state or you need to be um, a, a full citizenship because for me that's recolonizing all over again. Right. So 
So what is what what is what is you know Hawaii is what five thousand miles off the coast of California. Yes. Uh, yeah, Puerto Rico is much closer than that. Puerto Rico mm-hmm. is I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess and say it's within a thousand miles uh, of the coastline of Florida. Uh, so you know distance is not a factor here. Um, what what is uh, if, if Puerto Rico had become a state, and, and again you're you're kind of clumping the the three uh, the three categories, uh, I, I, I I'm assuming perhaps that might be a good thing. Would that be a good thing if Puerto Puerto Rico became a state of the U.S. Uh, the Union? Well, many things. I think it depends ideologically who you're asking. I, I personally think that the the nations have a right to be sovereign. And 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 my I think that there should be a self determination process for people to decide whether they want statehood or whether they want independence. And I think I mean the, the United Nations has a process for that. That is not something that happens overnight because you can't really ask someone to self determine when you're completely financially dependent upon them. You know, it's like acting. It's like asking a woman of domestic violence. Um, you know, you you need to leave your you need to make the decision and leave your husband now, but she's completely dependent financially. Her house is with him, so he's beating her up every single day, and people are saying, "Well, you just need to leave." And I say, "Oh, well, yeah, leave to what?" I mean, so so it's almost. I mean, it, it's for me that's an analogy that maybe for people who are not too familiar with colonialism can better explain the sense of empowerment and violence that colonialism really is about. So so there has to be a process of, or I think, of decolonization, so that there could be a process of self determination. Um, that's 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 one thing that that for me is essential. Um, rather than the empire again deciding, I think this is what should happen with you, um, which is what historically happens. And Puerto Rico strategically way back in the 1898s, before we would wage battles and wars with you know videos and I mean all pretty much it's like you know satellites and things. It, it was the strategic midpoint in the Caribbean, so they needed that as a stop to do um, to have bases and and and. And so it was more like a geographical position that was needed more than anything else. Um, and so, so that's the origins of the origins of that because we don't have oil or we don't have. Um, there's there's not something they could exploit in that sense, but they exploited our, our geographical position at the time. Okay, and and of course, I'm mean, I'm assuming uh, one of the largest uh, uh, factors of the GDP GDP would be sugarcane. Um, we did have sugarcane and coffee were, were two big things at the time. So, I mean, they did exploit it that significantly because that's when the um, United Fruit and many of these other, um, at the time, um, sugarcane companies came into Puerto Rico and, and just pretty much took all of that and exploited us as well there. Okay, and, it, and, and certainly it thrives off of tourism, I imagine. Uh... It, there, is, there, there is, I mean, tourism is our main... Um, way of income and and then coffee used to be now it's probably a lot now a lot of it is mainly subsidized whatever was left um, but there was a time where coffee was pretty big and um, just generally um, coffee sugarcane crops you know the land and and then tourism more recently and um, we're a highly educated group um, I think we have um, Puerto Rico collectively has more um, terminal degrees and 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 master or more level education when you adjust it for income per capita than actually um, the U.S. as a whole. So so a lot, for example, many people don't know this, but the NASA, um, one of our schools in, in, in Mayagüez, engineering school, um, goes to Puerto Rico every year and recruits 
I mean, we re in any year they just go in and take all the graduates and bring them over to work for NASA. So, so there's a lot of tapping into that um, expertise and knowledge that 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 we have some niche in. And another form of exploitation, but Jacqueline, yep. uh, speak a little bit now, if you would, just uh, about um, about the ousting of uh, Ricardo yes. And he's uh, he's listed as identifying with uh, formerly a Republican political affiliation, but but now a new progressive. And you've got now Wanda Garcet, who's uh, or excuse me, Democratic. And, and now uh, Garcet is a other political affiliation, be uh, Republican, but but also a new progressive. So what is the change there in that regime, and how does that? Uh, how does that relate to this U.S.-based group that you're saying that is now in there um, kind of making a contempt, uh, attempt to control things? So, so Ricardo Rosselló is um, pro-statehood um, in, in what, you know, what, from the party in Puerto Rico that, that favors an affiliation with the United States. Um, and so is the incoming um, now governor that was appointed um after there was a series of issues there in between with we had three governors actually in like less than 48 72 hours because um before Rosselló left um the secretary of justice was the one that was supposed to come in in to power when he resigned um but then there was some reshuffling there because the the senate the our house didn't wanted it wanted her and it's a sh longer story, but the short story is she ended up being the, the governor now of Puerto Rico um, as former Secretary of Justice. She was the one that needed to to step in. And so she is there. She's also the pro-statehood. So so that doesn't change a lot. They all they all go back and forth, like who affiliates with the Democratic or Republicans here. But but that's and honestly, what happens is Republicans and Democrats both go to Puerto Rico because either though we cannot vote for the president, they go in and do fundraising and ask the Puerto Rican people to support their candidacy for primaries. And so there's there's that going on. Um, but the, the ousting of Ricardo Rosselló, I, I will tell you that uh, when that was happening, I was here in, in Omaha at the time at, at Nebraska. And, and it, it actually brought tears to my eyes. So one of the mornings I was looking at it and I said, I look at the front page of the Guardian, and it's my nephew on it as he's being gassed, um, um, running away from the police. And so I said, my husband and I said, you know what, we're going to get on a plane and we're going to go there. And so we did. Within two, we just got right there, bought a ticket, and the other day we left there. And I have to tell you that um, having been there and participated and witnessing a lot of the things, it is one of the most profound experiences I have had. Um, the sense of collective agency that permeated the entire island, um, the sense of solidarity, um, there were, it, 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 it all self-emerged. There were no political leaders organizing this. Um, in fact, there was, rules would just be made organically. People would just start spreading the word, using social media, talking to each other. So one of the rules that emerged from the people, it was really the people, there was no leader, was no political flags, no political affiliation like with a party flags. They, did, they, they were very smart in not doing the divide and conquer, right? So the second you start saying and turning the the the, the mobilization that was happening into pro-statehood or against statehood or pro-independence, we were going to start fighting with each other, right? So one of the things that were waiting wisely started way in the beginning was 
this so only Puerto Rican flags were there. And then um, flags from organizations like the, the, the presence of the gay, um, the gay flag would be allowed. And that was also very powerful um, it, because it's, you know, again, a group that within a group that historically their voices have been suppressed. So th it was just a very active presence. There's, there's some colleagues and scholars that working on that um, area as well in terms of what happened. But you would walk down the street and there was a moment in time. I mean, you have to imagine this is, oh, I mean, if you've never been to the island or those of you who have been and are listening in, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an island that is 100 miles and 35. It is a very tiny island in terms of geographical um, area. It is huge in spirit. It is huge in national identity. There's a very, very sense. Even those who favor pro-statehood, um, you ask them, um, and they say, "I'm Puerto Rican first, and I want to speak Spanish, and I want to." So you know, and and, and my book, experiencing Puerto Rican citizenship and cultural nationalism, which I wrote um, a few years ago, collects all that data. But so so there's this sense. But I was walking down the streets, and I said, "What is this thing that I, I, people were on the streets? You're talking about a million, half a million. I mean, like." ongoing non-stop and to give you an idea we are 3.2 million people right now so what so one of the marches that the march the protest that was that was um convened again by no one people would just start spreading the word and that was the one that um ricky martin and and bad bunny and and um uh, rene residente sort of like all of a sudden became they they started using twitter and everything and said we're going to be there and a million people showed up Okay, only in San Juan area. This doesn't include the north or the south or anything. So you're like every day people would just wake up and they, this is what they would do. And those who were employed, they will stop at 5, 4 p.m. when they stop their work, they would go to the streets. And it was an ongoing thing and the humanities and the arts and it was everywhere, every single where. Basically the humanities threw down the government. I mean, that's what happened. Um, the presence of poetry, of art, of um, everything motorcycles it was this guy it was really a convocation there was this, this famous um i guess in puerto rico person that no one knew who he was the guy's a mechanic he's he is a mechanic of motorcycles and he likes to motorcycle over the weekends all of a sudden he said a, he said hey all, all people who ride motorcycles we're going to meet at this place and we're going to all ride. we're going to just ride into old san juan thousands over four thousand motorcycles all of a sudden this this was all happening spontaneous all over there was the sky people were skydiving people were going underneath the water i'm it, it it is something that is just completely so you're there in the middle of all of this and it's like oh my god what is going on and there was a time i was walking down the streets and it was sort of starting to be night and i'm just walking and there's all this energy and i'm like what is it that i'm thinking and it just dawned upon me you know as a, as a puerto rican woman as a woman, first of all, anywhere in the world, and as a Puerto Rican woman in the U.S. right now, been here for the last 13 years, you don't really know what it is to be a, a majority. And I, I was talking about, and it's like, this is what it feels. This is what it feels. This is how it feels to be a majority, to be all on the same page, to have the solidarity, to own your space as opposed to just inhabit it. Um, and so it was very powerful, but but they, they basically would not stop. And you could, it, it, it was, I mean, just, mention any possible way of protesting and it was all happening at once some people were scuba diving and taking photos on their knees and saying not even the fish one ricky Rosselló. um i mean it, it it kayaking people would go on kayak people would go on i mean it, it is and and uh, the dancing the music was a big thing but it, but it was a way of protesting it wasn't people would say wow that seems like a party and it's like well in order to understand it's like you know we're from the caribbean and this is a way of you know it's like 
jazz music, which is the way that, you know, there's a lot of, 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 of sadness and, and oppression that is being liberated through that. And that was happening everywhere. Horseback riding. There was another someone who, there was this massive horses coming. I mean, all of this. So it was just massive. It was massive. Um, and I, I, for me, it was a time that I, I had never felt so proud. I mean, I, I'm a very proud Puerto Rican, but this was like, wow, we have not lost our capacity to become indignant. Um, and that is, that was just so rewarding and, and, and there's a lot to do. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that haven't worked yet um, that need work. Uh, I mean, one thing is throwing this person down, but I think through all this, um, this gatherings that are happening now in the plaza where people are getting together, and again, it's the people, it's not politicians saying, what is the Puerto Rico we want? Um, it, it's something that I, I think I think this elections, this next elections in Puerto Rico are going to be interesting to say the least. Because I think one of the things that this has done is it has broken down with the traditional political parties. People stepped outside of their political affiliations, and, and politics in Puerto Rico it, that's our national sport. So telling someone to step out, it, it, it is it's very visceral. So telling someone to step out of their political affiliation, it it, it is. It is like someone who's a football fan telling them to switch, you know, to switch their their team, and so and and everyone did that. They everyone just stepped out. This was about being Puerto Rican first. This was about you don't represent us because you're offending people. You're offending gay. You're offending us. And very interestingly, one of the major triggers was that when he started making fun of the death of Maria, the the the, the people that had died in Maria. We still have issues. We still have people, you know, it, it's it's. People have to wait weeks, months sometimes to be able to get their their the bodies back of their loved ones so they can bury them. Um, so so there's a lot of need in Puerto Rico, but but I think the best need is it shouldn't be help as a as an aid of these poor people and charity. I, I think let's start looking at the U.S. is in a position of looking at those structural levels because they're not suffering the way we are right now. And, and, you know, empires will always act as empires, but I still have the hope that the people of the U.S. who, who, who understand that at different levels, who are not part of that organizational structures, that, that they maybe they can start demanding folks, you know, the government to say, you also have a responsibility. We have a responsibility with that because we, we colonize them. We never asked for you to come and colonize us, and now you're surprised because people are here, and and so 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 I think the language around for me of you know really educating no you don't really have citizens you have subjects no they people never really voted for that citizenship there should be a decolonization process so that people then can really decide what they want, um, um, but that Austin I mean that 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 is um, it, it was just it was just amazing um, to to be able it, it was sad that it that it had to go there and at the same time it was amazing that uh, this this group of people coming together and exercising the sense of collective agency and sovereignty is nothing i, I had never experienced anything like that yeah what a wonderful and incredible experience to to, to have in, in, in one's life uh and, and the pride that that's must have small in, in, in within you as being uh being a native puerto rican 
Um, Jacqueline, tell listeners a little bit about, uh, as, as we close out here, we have just a few more mm-hmm. minutes here. Uh, tell listeners about um, what they can find in your book, where, where they can find your book, where they can find more more work of yours, and then what's 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 next on the slate for you. Sure. So um, I my my last book is called Experiencing Puerto Rican Citizenship and Cultural Nationalism, um, and it, it can be found in Amazon or .com or to Palgraf through Palgraf Macmillan. Um, and that was more about, it was published in 2015, and it's more about what does it mean to be a Puerto Rican citizenship and how people experience it from the, not from the legal sense, but more what is their experience, how they act upon it, what does that mean when you are a colony, when, when you don't have, when you're not, you don't have a say in the rules that govern your daily life. So how is that all exercised? And it's a series of interviews and narratives that are weaved throughout our history. My next big project, um, I, I, I my next week project related to this topic, because I do several things, is actually based on what happened in Puerto Rico in summer 2019. Um, the, the working title of it is We Are More and We're Not Afraid. It's Puerto Ricans Creative Conflict and the Voice of Collective Change. Um, and what it does is describes how the arts and the humanities restored hope to Puerto Rico, a nation whose people already felt abandoned. They were abandoned by their government. Um, and so it explores um, how do this process of self-organized movement happen using the arts and the humanities, not to heal, which is usually what it's used for, but more to escalate conflict to a level that was productive enough to accomplish a goal. And then what's going to happen with all of that now through all of this like pop- popular assemblies that are taking place, um, the chapters I divided in ways of, um, so there's an entire chapter just um, talking about the agency of the dead. Um, there's people of Maria that died. There were over 4,000 of them. And and this was the trigger of every single horrible, terrible thing that that ex-governor, well, he can't even be called ex-governor now because he actually resigned. So, um, so actually legally, he is not an ex-governor either. Um, but um, the, the person that was governing Puerto Rico, um, Pedro Rosselló, um, uh, it's um, Ricardo Rosselló. I'm sorry, Pedro Rosselló was his father who also was governor um, before. So it's um, so one of it is like, how does this agency took place and play out through our humanities and our literature and our, you know, our, our, our art? Um, there's another one that's going to be about those um, assemblies that are going on right now. Um, and just basically taking, uh, I think you see this in Hong Kong, people are claiming more democracy. Sure. I mean, the, the Constitution, that even for the U.S., you see it in the U.S., the, the Constitution as it's set up right now, what does it really mean with the people for the people when the entire structure favors a privileged class? Right. And, and so it, it is about Puerto Rico, but it's also about how, how can, what can we learn from this movement um, in terms of self-organization to claim for those who are at a, more of a disadvantage and less privileged so that so that we can learn something about it and, and we can actually have more democracy, participation, that is not just going to vote every four years. Yeah, wonderfully said. Beautiful conversation. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jacqueline and Fonce Guzman, MHA, JD, PhD, professor at Creighton University. Uh, uh, Jacqueline, thank you for joining Discussion of Truth. We look forward to inviting you back on the program. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you so much, Ian. It's a pleasure to be with you and your, and your audience. Okay, talk to you next time. Thank you.
is symbolic. It just it's just what we've been doing in the early days of the program. We switch it around with a little bit of different type of musical genre association, but we've stuck with Metallica. Unofficially, I have reached out to Metallica. They have not responded uh, to get uh, to get an agreement, uh, some type of permission to uh, uh, use in an authorized manner uh, their music. But we stick with it, unless and until otherwise notified. What a powerful message there from Dr. Uh, Font Guzman. Uh, and that really hits to the core of this program. Uh, if I aim nothing, if I aim for nothing more, I aim to uplift you and bring you scenarios, situations, stories, facts, truths that should get you to raise your arms and raise your voice. Because, like Jackie, you too. Have the power to jump on a plane, get over and march and make a difference and stand up for what you believe in. This has been Discuss Your Truth. I am your host every Wednesday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Wynwood Radio, right out of Miami, Florida. Until next week, be awesome.